Scripture comes from John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. And the word of God says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, who will bear witness about me, and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Amen. Good morning, Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And as we go back from last week's verse to continue in John now here in chapter 15, we are left in these last chapters with accounts of Jesus's last days before his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he is preparing and equipping and informing his disciples for life after he is gone. In these chapters are some glorious things, but in this chapter, in these chapters are some of the hardest teachings that the church can receive. He is preparing them when he is gone and no longer bodily present with them. And and after letting them know of the glorious connection they have as branches of relationship with God through the vine, which is Jesus, he lets his disciples know that their branched and divine connection with him will not be all peachy keen. But with this fallen world and its people, it will be more like sour grapes. So instead of making sweet wine out of those grapes or lemonade out of those lemons, Jesus lets them and us know that the world's distaste and disdain of their faith and love for him was all part of the divine recipe of being his followers. And when the Bible says world here, to kind of clear up some of the terminology, it is referring to all the people and systems and theories and philosophies and and religion that do not believe in or bow to Jesus as the Son of God, God come in the flesh as the Lord and Savior of their lives and this world. When the Bible says hate, that word means to detest to pursue with hatred, to be on a one-way course against, to be in a direct battle with, to be at odds and war with, to be on the other side or, or other team, to be a rival, to, to be set against. It, it has 
set itself up to draw believers out, to, to make them not believe. It is, it is often thought that living in this world is, is a static thing, that, that if we rub against the world, then that's when we feel its hatred or distaste or its rejection. But this word hate here that Jesus uses in the last chapters of John actually mean that the world is out to change your faith. It is out to gut your faith. It is out to make you more like them, that the world itself has its own gospel mission. We just use the word mission, but it is out to make a stand and make disciples for itself. So Jesus teaching that along with his awesome benefits— Believers inherit this kind of worldly hatred that you drive down the street and see a billboard or, or pop on your computer, and here's the world trying to suck you back in. That, that, the, that believers will inherit this kind of worldly hatred because believers have a hated lineage and a hated lifestyle. A hated lineage and hated lifestyle. I grew up in a pretty diverse neighborhood. We were the only black family among with some different cultures in our suburban utopia. Almost looked like the dream had come true in my neighborhood. Little black boys and white girls. We, we, we looked like what Martin Luther King wanted. And here it was, the, the late 70s and early 80s. And my group of friends included a couple of straight Aryan Anglos, John and Eric. Two Italians, Rick and John Guerreri, whose grandfather didn't speak a lick of English. A half Chinese girl, Kimmy. A white Polish girl named Missy. And a yarmulke on Saturday wearing Jewish kid named Abe. And I was just one of the crew. So I thought. It was, again, the... Late 70s and early 80s, and I didn't know any better, but my grandmama and parents did. And my grandmama used to, used to say to me when I would say, hey, John and Eric are my friends. She would say, they're not really your friends. I'm like, why? Because you black to them. Huh? And she used to add, there will be, she used to use this, this, this allegory, that, 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 that there will be a stop along the way when you are riding the train, train again being an allegory for, for life together, where they will say, boy, this is where you get off. You can't travel any further with us. Well, I didn't believe it until we were going all going over to Missy's house. And when I came over, she met me at the door as I looked through the side window to all my friends all on the inside to tell me that her dad didn't want black people coming in the house. Black people? I'm Howard. We friends. What's my skin got to do with it? I'm black because my parents are black and their parents are black. I was born black. That is my, not my fault, right? No, it wasn't my fault, but it was my born lineage to live with. And grandmama knew in my naivety that the hate she experienced as a black woman, I would too as a black boy. Jesus having that grandmama been through the before civil rights era conversation with these Jews become Jesus following Jews that they will be hated because they have been born again into a lineage that is hated by the world. 
Because they not only take on and take in, and we talked about the union with Jesus in the identity of Jesus, they take on the hated identity of their Lord and Savior. He says it this way. Look with me at verse 18. We'll read through a lot of this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I have not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have, both, they have seen and hated both me and my father. Do you see the generational hatred Jesus is setting up here? My father, I am the son, and now you are my disciples. Become children of God with me as the divine older brother. It is your heritage. It is your lineage that creates this hatred that you can't shake just as much as I can't shake the heritage that goes along with my skin color in this country. Here's an inkling of comfort, though, in this hated for your lineage thing. You in and of yourself are not a problem for the world. For the kingdom that is not submitted to God's rule and reign to your unbelieving, don't want to be believing friends and family, you are not the one. It is Jesus they hate. And Jesus goes on to teach here that it is God the Father they reject and seek to snuff out from their lives and world. That is but an ink because when you become a believer, you have been chosen to have union. Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world to have union with Jesus. Jesus is in you and you in him. And so when, you, when they see you and experience you, they can't help but hate you too, want to take you out too, want to bring you over to their side too. As a believer who's identity is inseparable from the lineage they have in Jesus Christ with, the God, with, with God and Father of the Bible. It's the, God, it's the God at work and alive in you. You know, there's a song on a radio, it's the God in me, right? And it's a joyful song, right? I can do all things. My dreams can come true. It's the God in me. Do you understand it's a God in you that is misunderstood and attacked and put down and uncomfortable and makes people uncomfortable? And so it is you as a believer who will experience rejection and distrust and belittling and isolation because believer is who you are and have become and been divinely chosen to be. Like what I experienced as a child. in a transitioning to the civil rights neighborhood. <laughs> if you're a believer, doors of relationship and access being shut because of who your Lord and divine daddy is and who you've become should be par for the course. It is your inheritance. But let me say this. This is going to be strange now. Huh? But if every door and doors that don't really want Jesus to come to, of relationship and access and friendship and trust and getting along with everybody is open to you, then you should question something. 
The commentary by Leslie Newbegin on John that I'm using says this, Christians ought not to be surprised if they're hated and rejected. Rather, they should be alarmed when the world finds them very congenial. For the world, as the Bible tells us, loves only its own. This is hard to hear. But I want you. Shoot, I had to read through it. Now you got to go through it. I want you to hear what is hard. But maybe you should question whether you aren't continually suppressing and selling out your lineage and heritage to get in and stay with relationships and institutions around you that maybe you shouldn't and aren't really a part of. Or harder to hear. Oh, yes, one, one step deeper. And I don't like saying this a lot. Because I want to really encourage you believers to be assured about your faith. But maybe this is not truly your lineage. Maybe for some of us, Jesus is just something we do on Sunday. He's not really our Lord and Savior, and so we're getting along just fine with everybody. Because we are everybody. But I'm, more will, I'm willing to bet that it's, that it's more that you are a believer, but you are not willing, you're not, you're not only willing to leave behind the Lord that is hated and the lineage that is hated in that, but in that lineage, the faith that is hated. The faith that is hated. Look with me at verse 20 again. We're going to read through this a few times because there's some things to get out of it. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for this sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and, seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. What is Jesus saying in summary here? The world will hate you by hating the faith you have inherited. See, Jesus is the person behind what, now, what we now have, this, this outwardly lived institution of faith, of the Bible, of the church, the story of the gospel, the belief system, and theology of the church, and the mission of Christianity. The world is very uncomfortable and does not like what he, Jesus, has built and made in this faith and, and made in this holy culture and community called Christianity, its word, its practices, its truth, all the things that give and grant you and have given and granted you assurance of faith and belief and faith itself, the world will want it to be accepted only as it's gutted and downplayed and watered and dumbed down to fit in with the rest of its belief system. They want to take your faith apart. This world really demands that you leave the name behind. 
Remember how this book of John started? It said Jesus was the light, and the light came in the world, and the, the world couldn't comprehend it. It was offensive to the world. It was too bright in their darkness. Like when you flip on the light when you've been sleeping, the world doesn't like it, and so because they can't comprehend it, they despise and turn against it. The world will not accept. Here's the hard things about Christianity we don't like to talk about. You ready? I'm going to say it. This world will not accept one way to heaven. I believe it. There's one way to heaven. Jesus Christ, that's it. He is the name, the Bible says, there's only one name given from heaven to earth for men to be saved. And that name is Jesus. Okay? One other thing, the Bible being the only, hear me, the only rule of faith and life, and Jesus being the only one Savior, it will not like, and the world will not like you and me saying it, and even seeking to live it, which we'll come back to in a minute, but definitely not wearing it on our sleeves. The world wants all that stuff contextualized and to take a docile place among the many religions and sub-religions of the world, and your faith, the gospel, Christianity, it just won't happen to it. Its design is not it is not designed to, to, to fit in. It is designed to take over. Jesus here says here that he did works among them and represented God to them, and they, they still hated him. He, he offered them God the Father, the one who created them. He, he presented them him and, and gave them God's love and they returned it with hate. And that's why he said they loved him, with, they hated him with a, without a cause. Well, I will say almost, Jesus, they hated you without a cause. Understand what he's saying here. He came to save them. But do you know what it says there? He says the world would not be guilty, would not be guilty of sin until I came. Now they're guilty of sin because they've seen me, they heard the word and they rejected me. Do you know what the gospel says do you know what Jesus being around in a conversation or present, the Holy Spirit present, does? It convicts. It says you're sinners. It says automatically you need a Savior, and Jesus is a Savior of sinners. That, guess what the gospel says? You can't run your own lives, that you are unacceptable before God, that you are weaklings, and, and you're punks in this world, and you're, you're mistreated by Satan in and, and, and the flesh. And, and when we live as, as, as not a believer in Jesus, we are on the way. Now, here's the hardest one. We are on the way to being judged for an eternal punishment in hell. I didn't say it. Your Lord said it. My Lord said it. There's punishment for rejecting him. There's an offer of eternal life, but there's punishment. And we don't talk about it. I don't like talking about it. It's not the conversation I lead with. <laughs> Hello, guys. I'm Howard. I'm a Christian. And if you don't believe in my Jesus, you're going to hell. What's for dinner? <laughs> and certain ways of thinking and living. You know what we believe? We believe certain ways of thinking and living are simply wrong. That there is such a thing as holiness and truth. That there is wrong and right and truth in the way. And, and don't get me wrong, Christians get in all kinds of philosophies and political theories and they mix it up. 
But believers know that through sanctification and holiness, we are looking for what is right and true and, and what God is doing that is right and true. And there is something that we can say that is sin. You know, what, you know what gospel says? That you can't be your own gods. No one, and most people won't say, I'm my own God. No, they won't. But let me tell you what they will do. We can get God to go along with our plans, programs, and dreams that we need and want. Do you know you must relinquish your dreams and plans to God's plans and dreams for your life, and you can't ask him to follow yours? God's not for hire. He's not for hire. Because if you can hire him, you can fire him. Man, I listened to Christian radio the other day. I, I, I keep it on there pretty constantly. <laughs> the Gospel Station, Yolanda Adams' morning show. Why is it that I can go an hour of listening to it and not hear Jesus once? I can hear about dreams and destiny and fulfillment. And how God's going to help you do what you want to do, and he'll follow, and God's open the doors, and you can go and fly. The gospel don't say that. <laughs> and some beautiful songs have been created. I'm singing too. Oh, my destiny and dream. It, you know, you got to get yours, and God's opening the way for you. Really? I thought God was about shutting down your sinful path and dreams and you're just human. You don't know what you're doing. And asking God to be a part of what you're doing, he ain't that. He God. But the world, it's a radio, right? Radio's designed for what? Advertising, right? You got to sell records and CDs. You, you can't make it about the gospel and hell and suffering and world hating you. It's got to be about what you can get out of Jesus. And somehow we feel if we give that, people will be like, yeah, I want Christianity too. But the problem is when they come over to that, they find that that is not Christianity. The world hates because as humans, we love the human spirit and hard work, and competency, and morals, and scores, and points, and doing good, and karma, and human excellence, and determination, and earning our way, and rewards, and trophies, and accolades, and degrees, and honors, and desserts, and the gospel declares and calls for the opposite. You will be dishonored. You are among the weak. You are among the despised of the world. You are on the upside-down cake, on the downside of the upside-down cake, right? It's the sweetest part, but no one's going to see you, right? I mean, the gospel is upside Here is the problem with church people with Christendom, especially in this country. We have adopted what the world loves and gotten rid of what it hates, and when we do that, the gospel itself is lost. Let me ask you something. How did Christianity... The ethos, the gospel goal become, and how can it be about being on top? 
of being the most loved religion and people in the world. Remember, even the good deeds Jesus did were hated. He said he was hated with other cause. He brought healing and free food with his message. So, so how did the measure of the power or good of our faith of Christianity become about having and being the most reasonable and acceptable to the world, people, and things? How did the gospel... How did the Christian world heroes become and how can they be the ones who get the most acceptance and most reward and most honor from the world and make the most money and whose, you know, stuff sells the most and when the Lord of the faith got the most rejection? If you are most honored by this world and Jesus was most rejected, think about the distance. Jesus says, this in verse 20 that the servant is not greater than the master so how can if we are following jesus be considered greater in the eyes of the world than our own lord and we spend trust me i'm in church world i know what they try to sell you in the books especially for church growth and and, and, you know trying to have a church of fifty thousand people in 25 sites and everything on the screen and flashy and i'm not against using multimedia and doing all that kind of stuff great But we spend so much time and money and energy and and extra effort and and raising support for what? For being less and less overt about Jesus. We'll spend more money on cover-up than we'll spend on uncovering it. We want a cool and unemotional and, and zeal lesson. We, we are, we, we, no, we are like, if we're like the world and the world likes us, that's a sign that we have a good ministry. How can you have a, how can you say, oh, look how much of the world really likes us and accepts us. And we're, we're so much like the world, people can't even tell they're coming to church. Isn't that great? You know, they really didn't push the Bible on me today. Praise God. I can bring my friend to church. You know why? Because they won't be offended. How can we be on? We want to be on top and in control of a Christianity for a faith whose Bible tells us that if you are lukewarm, the Lord will spit you out, and whose God is a rushing wind that blows where He wants, and whose Lord was such a nuisance He causes His own people to turn to their enemies to have Him crucified. Growing up the way I did as a black boy in a world that did not comprehend and was offended by my identity, I quickly learned or figured that if I spoke less like how how I was stereotypically identified, less slang, less overtly like my parents and their interests and history, if I could just assimilate more, to avoid the rejection, to not stand out in one way and stand out as different than the others in another way. I felt like I needed to do something, right, to be more acceptable by these kids in this world. Be smart. Be smarter. Get the best toys. Be athletic or excellent at my interest. Be double better than they are. Be careful. Be, be more careful, right? That, that be more carefuler than others to not make standout grammatical errors when I spoke. It, is, it was even told to me, you have to be double gooder. And I began to believe that lie that I was different and better because the dominant culture accepted me. 
and even beginning myself to despise my inferior feeling in the dominant culture, culture, I felt compelled to embrace and pursue the assimilated, contextualized for their comfort version of me. I've heard and been a part of the arguments of church contextualization and making the faith more palatable and not being like those Bible-beating church folks so I and they can be more acceptable, making this worship and the life Christians are called to live and the conversations they have and the way they have them more easy, easier to handle. See, I've got to be careful. And again, we put these words to it, right? Contextualization. And incarnate. We want to incarnate. We, we want to be part of the culture. You know, we, 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 we incognito Christians. You know, and, and, and all this kind of lifestyle evangelism. To somehow make the gospel easier to accept and make us easy to get along in this world with our faith in Jesus did when he was here. We don't want to be like Jesus was. He ended up on a cross. He told us we have to bear out, but we don't want it. Do you know what contextualization and being incarnational and loving being in this world and not of this world is really all about? Contextualization, incarnation is actually according to Jesus, according to what Jesus did about taking, hear me now, what is implicit and hidden and blunted because of the culture and language and sins and ways of people and finding ways and language to make it more explicit. Not the opposite. It is not changing the content or impact or offense of the message or leaving what Jesus describes here as part of a hated part of, you know, the name of Jesus. Let's say less Jesus' name and just get the theory out there and people accept it or the faith or the explicit gospel behind or trying to be excellent or acceptable or assimilating so they will think Christianity is attractive and will make them beautiful and awesome too. No. I know y'all. Sometimes I think I don't want them to know I'm a Christian. Look at me. Know what contextualization is? It is like finding creative ways to be in the right places and positions. Now get this now. To craft corrective lenses that fit the situation and questions people and culture and oppositions have so they can see Jesus more clearly and more explicitly that the gospel would be more obvious to them than it could have been without your help. Why do we spend our days trying to make it less explicit? Why do we spend our days taking rated R Jesus and making him G? Jesus is rated R for the world. He's restricted. But to blunt and blind its offensiveness and, 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 and salvific, to kind of put sunshades on, on Jesus' salvific flashiness, is to actually take away what the people need for change. Jesus. And all his brightness and glory. And the gospel too. In our conversation and reasonings and what we do and how we got to where we are. And in our storylines with people, we so often forget the name of Jesus. 
and don't talk about the gospel. I believe it's not because we want to be careful to contextualize and make the gospel more palatable. Jesus says that is impossible, but really because we want to avoid being hated. We want friends and we want acceptance and we want our faith to seem like reasonable. You know, it's just we're Christians. We're evangelical Christians. We want, and we know as the Bible teaches it, that Jesus will always put that at risk. And here's the funny thing. No matter how hard you try to be cool and make it about what is good and nature and creation, just good. There are things good in this world we just enjoy together. I know I've been... I'm, Trained by the Presbyterians, I know all of this kind of Schaeferish kind of stuff that we get wrong. People forget Schaefer was the Bible Presbyterian, right? He helped start the denomination that you're in. He wasn't some, well, just let it flow whatever way kind of guy, but we take his stuff out of context and we make it, you know, let's just talk about what's good and enjoy each other. We make it about being good people and loving others morally and just being a good neighbor by your good works and being about human dignity. If you belong to Jesus, the scripture is saying the Holy Spirit will find a way to make him show up in your life if you are his. When he talks here about being his witnesses in the coming Holy Spirit, Jesus is not talking about being hated because you went across the street with your Bible to tell your neighbor about Jesus because you have a Jesus stick on your car. This is about the Spirit forcing himself to give way in your life. Look with me at verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Then look down at verse 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceed from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will, be, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world to do what? Be my witness and be inheritors of God's Spirit, to be people in whose life Jesus can show up and make a scene in. And when he does, you and your faith will be rejected by those who are not also chosen to be his. Jesus is saying, if you are his, get this now, as his, you will be a witness. And we kind of confuse this word witness. Witness is not only witnessing. Witness is when you go out in a world as a believer just walking around, Somehow, I don't know how he does it. It's the Holy Spirit. He's kind of divine. He can do what he wants. Somehow, your faith bears its way out just in your being and doing. That's what it means to be a witness. When you signed up to be a Christian, you signed up to be a booth in which Jesus shows up in. You, show, you signed up to be a walking temple, as Scripture says. And other people see you, and all of a sudden there's something in there. Just call him the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, and it just gets to people. One of the hardest memories I had about my identity was in college. It was Martin Luther King Day uh, celebration time at Clemson. And there was a march on the campus that day. And instead of going on the march, I went to the gym to work out with my white friend, Dave. And as we walked out of the gym, happy and all, we had a good workout, man. Stuff was pumping. You know that feeling. Man, you got that weight up today. Woo! Soon as I walked out in my gym clothes, there in front of us was a large group of African-American brothers, friends of mine, dressed up in suits with the kente cloth lays, 
and the MLK pins. And they're like, Howard, you ain't marching today? Looking at my friend Dave. Hmm. They said, that's okay. We'll march for you, brother. Ah. The Spirit will march for us and in us and show up in your life. If you're his, he will, like, like any real ghost, will haunt your life with this holy presence and the whole world will see it. Why are we trying so hard to avoid it? You know what Scripture says and teaches? The Lord will allow suffering and failure in the world's eyes, in your life, so you can be a witness of the Holy Spirit. Here you are. You're doing great. The world's loving you. You climbing the ladder. You're good to all people. You're getting along with everybody. And bam, disaster. Failure. A firing. Your, your kid does something crazy in school. You, you lose your home. You, you, your marriage is on the rocks, you know. You, you, your wife sits down with you and says, hey, look, this ain't been working for the last 10 years. You, you know, your life falls apart and everybody can see it. And right there, your faith, like kindling, comes alive. You cry for help to Jesus. No longer do you turn to the world, right? You're calling all the Christian friends you got. Please pray for me on Facebook. Please pray for me. Let, let me delete that, you know, YouTube video that I thought was cool and funny and get everybody to like me. I need the Lord. Now you turn to the Christian channel. Yay, Jesus. The Lord will create an altar out of your life. He's the Holy Spirit. You will be witnesses of his. This is what Christianity is about. I'm sorry things hadn't worked out for you. I'm sorry that you're not the most successful person. I'm sorry that the world doesn't look at you and say, hey, I want to sign up for the Christian team today because they're always winning. The Lord will witness in your life. I was going to pick up a basketball goal I got off Craigslist, and I tried to keep the conversation away from profession and potentially my faith with these people. They were cool, fun people. I didn't, I didn't want to mess it up. So I went into trying, you know, again, the Lord's going to make a witness out of you whether you try hard or not. And I was trying so hard, he ended up making a witness out of me. I saw their Wake Forest tag on the car, and I don't mind talking to Wake Forest people about football. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, Hollis. Um, and anyway, so I don't, and so I'm like, oh, y'all went to Wake Forest. Well, I went to Clemson. It's almost football season. And they were like, we're Wake Forest basketball fans. I'm like, great. <laughs> and I was trying to keep it sports, and yay. 
And they're like, man, you really took that basketball goal apart pretty quickly. I, I had one when I was young and I knew how to do it. You must have done engineering at Clemson. You must be an engineer of some sort. And I looked at their house, nice house. I'm like, great. They probably are. I said, no, English. Really? What did you do with that degree? I just not quiet and took the goal apart because I was trying to stop them from getting there. I led them right there. I'm a pastor. I went to seminary. Really? Translation. What did I do with my English degree? You mean what did God do with the chemistry major I started out in? What did he do with the academic scholarship I earned? I became a zealot for Jesus. He made me a freak for and like him. A party pooper. They were like, hey, we have a happy hour. They don't. I wanted to say, hey, can I have one too? Because I wanted to look cool, right? I'm the scary guy now. I'm the fall guy. I'm the expectation bearer and thus potential expectation failure. Let me tell you, the people in this church want their cake and eat it too. I'm like y'all. We want to be believers, but Christ-centered church, we especially love to be loved by the world. I'm talking to you as your pastor. Y'all love to be loved by the world, and, it's, and you love to love the world. And, we, you know, we are charmed and confused by it and its beauty and its wonders and its people and its music and its art and its beer and its liquor and its houses and its economy and its money and its cars. And it does not love you. It hates you. You are not like that anymore. Jesus changed your major. He has changed and changed what is important to you. And the spirit of the gospel work is a blazing fire at work in you that will not be quenched or hidden. You know that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Man, forget that. The gospel is a blazing fire that people are afraid of it, judging and consuming them. And in the lives of his people, the Holy Spirit is blazing. And everyone can tell it's all over you if you are his. Christ Central Church, our message message of redemption of all creation. Don't get it twisted. It is not about dumbing it down or doubts and truth or our cooling out our Lord and person Jesus Christ to get people to trust us, but about engaging culture, bringing the fire of the Lord. Hear this. Bringing the fire of the Lord near the combustible idols of this world. And he has put you in positions to blaze. I know some of you have been through some hateful church situations. Some have been put on the beach and in dorm rooms a witness. Some have been really mistreated. And we want to shake it. You are inheritors of God's grace and therefore automatically inheritors of hate. Let me close with this. Look at verse 26. But when a helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You know why your faith is incompatible to the world and what the world considers success and acceptable and tolerant and loving? 
because God is in you and with you. It's a trade-off. God is with you. The creator of the universe, his spirit is in you and with you. Which means this, you can't be alone. And when I say alone, I'm not talking about in a room with a bunch of friends. This is hard for us, especially at Christ Central Church. You need, the, to, you need to encourage and be in community with each other, believers. I dare say that your best and closest friends should be believers and not unbelievers. Uh-oh, he got a little, you know, crazy David Koresh commune. No, I didn't. I didn't say you're going to come out of the world that you, that you won't have friends that are not believers. I'm saying, and family that aren't believers, and you're not going to get along and love them well and treat them with dignity. I'm not saying that. I'm saying your closest friends should be believers. The time you spend with who and where you spend, it should be emotionally, spiritually, and logistically proportionate with the, to, to the edge, to the believing side. Where are you emotionally invested? Where do you get most of your backpack? backpacks from? Is it your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are you looking for the world to give you something? To love you? To embrace you? Question who and how much you spend time with. You and I should be reading more of this Bible and devotional Christian books and less of whatever else. And I know I am so guilty because I love entertainment, man. I hate doing nothing. And I hate being bored reading them Christian books. And sometimes I fall asleep reading the Bible. You know why? Because I'm alone in doing it. You'll wake up if somebody else is there. Or you'll both be sleeping and then something prayerful going on there. I want the PS3. I want the TV. I want the Mad Men's uh, series. None of those things love me. None of those things are good for me. They hate me. TV, movies, they want to gut me. I was watching The Man of Steel the other day, and there's a scene where he's in the church, and behind him is a picture of Jesus. Just as white as he is. <laughs> that Jesus they had on the stained glass window would have gotten skin cancer out there in the Middle East. <laughs> he really would have been the son of God because he would have been a lot lighter than his mom and dad. <laughs> my dad will say, who's that man on that window? That's my dad. <laughs> That's Jesus. That ain't Jesus. The Bible says you shouldn't have graven image. Anyway, anyway so... Well, his picture of Jesus and, and Superman's talking to the priest. He says, you know, should I give myself over to save the world or something like that? I'm thinking, they got Jesus in the background to help play Superman's story. Now, ain't that a trip? The world does not like your Lord or you. You're rejected because in Christ, God accepts you. 
You are not chosen by them as the best and greatest because Jesus chose you, the weak and the despised and broken, to be his. Your faith won't fit in because God brought you in. Your faith will suffer the hatred of the world and its people because God in Christ suffered and was hated. So you would know just how much God loves you. The inheritance of hate. 